Welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, and some resources for your faith, you can check out newcitynash.com. But we hope you enjoy this message and that it blesses you. If you guys could turn to Matthew chapter 16, um, starting in verse 5. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up. Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast in bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much that um, when you have a lesson to teach us, that you teach us, Lord. I pray that... Um, we're he- as we're here today, as we're listening to your word, um, that we would hear what you're trying to say to us, that we wouldn't misunderstand, um, Lord, but we would um, just get right to the heart of what you're trying to say to us today, Lord. Thank you so much um, for giving us the opportunity to worship together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, well, I call today's message the yeast of our problems. The yeast of our problems, Carly told me she was making the size that she felt real dumb for putting that up there, but I'm proud of it, so here we are. The yeast of our problems, and to be honest, as I was uh, running through the message uh, last night, I spent several minutes coming up with bread puns. I'm going to spare you guys from most of those, but uh, I'll spare you before I get on a roll. All right, I better, I better stop. That's, all, that's seriously all I'm going to do. Thank you, Daniel, for going against the grain of everybody else. That really is it. Uh, The yeast of our problems. So how many of you got into baking uh, during COVID or have been into baking pre-COVID? A couple people got into baking during COVID. Some were into baking before COVID. Yeast causes bread to do what? Rise. Great. Y'all already know that. So this is a weird thing for Jesus to say, right? Beware or pay attention. Be careful about the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he compares that with their teaching. And there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about when it comes to the yeast or bread in Jesus's life and ministry. Uh, Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, we saw a story, several stories, where Jesus uh, multiplied loaves of bread and fish uh, to feed more people, feed 5,000 in one story and then feed 4,000 in another. So we could talk about bread as being in some ways a symbol of God's abundance, where he took what seemed like nothing and used it to feed a multitude of people, and then actually there was more left over at the end than there was to begin with. We could also talk about the festival of unleavened bread, uh, which shows you how little I know about baking. I learned that a tortilla and like pita is unleavened bread this week. Had no idea. So good luck listening to me teach about yeast. Uh, I could talk about that uh, and communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. But today here in this story, what Jesus is getting at is he's talking about this notion of teaching. And he's saying something about teaching that causes things to grow. Like a little yeast, when you put it in with the dough, causes the bread to rise. 
and it doesn't do it instantaneously, like an immediate chemical reaction, right? It, it rises over time. And in a similar sort of way, teaching does that. And so here's a question that I want us to consider for today. Have you ever believed something that turned out to not be entirely true? Have you ever believed something that turned out not to be entirely true? Uh, for me, sometimes this manifests in like things I believe about myself. Uh, one day I might think I'm incredibly awesome and very important, and another day I think I'm of no importance whatsoever. Think I'm great, think I'm terrible, all in the same like little short window. Reality is probably, hopefully, somewhere there in the middle. Right? Uh, I think a lot of things that might not necessarily be true about myself. Maybe for you, it's not just about yourself, it's about other people. Have you ever had somebody in your life, maybe a relationship with somebody, maybe a celebrity, political figure, whoever, who you thought, this person's amazing, they're perfect, they're incredible. They could, you wouldn't say they could do no wrong because you know better, but like, practically speaking, you believe they could do no wrong. And then what happens? They do something wrong. Uh, sometimes small, sometimes not that big of a deal, sometimes incredibly wrong, abusive, manipulative, horrible, and it upends your entire view of them. What do I do with this now? I believe this thing to be true about this person, and now it's not. Maybe it's the flip side. Maybe you demonized somebody in your head, and you thought, man, that terrible person, a piece of trash. Maybe it's somebody on the road. Maybe it's somebody who thinks differently than you. And then you got to know them, and you realized, oh, actually, we're a whole lot more similar than what I thought. And actually, the things I didn't like about them are things I don't like about myself. That's real convicting. Uh, maybe it's not just about other people. Maybe it's your perspective has changed when it comes to ideologies, morality, whether like uh, politics or even faith, right? That you grew up thinking one thing about God, that there is a God and this is what God's like, or that there is no God or I don't know what God's like. And then somewhere in your development, you just were like, I don't know anymore what I think, or your perspective on something changed, and you leave feeling sort of upended. And here's what I want to get at with this, is that a lot of us have beliefs that are wrong, uh, myself included. I'm very confident that I believe things that are wrong about things. I don't know what they are. I hopefully wouldn't be teaching you on things that I think are wrong, but I'm pretty confident that I do think things that are wrong. My wife for sure could tell you that I think things that are wrong. I almost asked her this week for examples, but I, just, I was like, maybe I, don't, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Honestly, I just forgot to ask her. That's really what happened. But I, but I hear this a lot, like in conversations with people, even when it comes to things of faith. I hear often people will say, just colloquially, like, the Bible says this. Uh, and then they go on to quote things that I'm like, where is that? Like, I don't know where in the world that is. It's not in there. Or they quote things that are totally out of context. The Bible says this, and technically it does, but that's not what it means. Uh, what we're going to see in this story, and with a parallel in another story, is that people can even use scripture verses out of context to say, the Bible says this, but it's not actually what it means. And Jesus here says to beware of the yeast or the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, to be careful, to pay attention to. And my concern is that a lot of us are taught, informed by things by people, by the culture, that we don't even think about. I, there's a podcast that I've only listened to like once, I think, called The Armchair Expert, and I don't think this is what they mean by it, but I think that's such a great metaphor for modern society, that a lot of us are armchair experts. This is probably not what he means by that, but I get this picture of like so many of us think we're experts on things that actually we have no expertise on whatsoever. 
read an article and now we're like talking about it. I had one of those moments this week talking with Israel about something uh, where I felt pretty confident on my moral and like theological view of it. And we were just having a conversation and he like told me something that he read and I was like, man, I literally know nothing. And here I am talking like I have some well-formed opinion. And the internet, right, is full of that, right? Um, and it's so interesting to me. I feel like now in today's day and age, people have inf- are, are considered to have expertise because of influence, uh, not having influence because they have expertise. What I mean by that is that we look to see whether someone has a bunch of followers, and if they do, then I'm going to accept what they have to say as being true, which may or may not be. Uh, I think often of like my seminary professors uh, who would grill anybody who like makes a statement or a claim on something that is not well-founded or is not using proper sources. I think the internet would benefit a lot from things like that. And to be honest, this is scary uh, as a person in a preaching and teaching position. Scripture speaks uh, really strongly about the importance of proper teaching and what our tongue does and the importance of the words that come out of our mouth. And it's scary for me that there are things I'm very confident that I could be wrong about. Like I said, I don't think the things I'm saying today are wrong, but there's a chance they could be. So whatever I say, check it with Scripture and make sure it lines up. But here's what I do know. I, I put my trust uh, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and I pray he helps me trust him more. And I believe he's good. And in all that I do, I want to point you back to him. I want to point you back to the Scriptures. And so what I want to do is I want to read from a couple passages that talk about the importance of teaching. And as we read this, um, you might think of teaching just in regards to like uh, someone preaching to you or education. Does anybody like documentaries? Got a couple documentary watchers. Anybody do any of those like master class or like things where you specifically go and learn a topic or whatever, read a book, podcast where you learn a bunch of stuff? I love that kind of stuff. I love learning, love growing. Uh, but a lot of us also were taught by other things. When you hear the word teaching, I don't want you just to think explicit teaching. I want you to think of implicit teaching. Uh, way that you learn or are taught by the way that someone acts, how they interact with other people, the things that aren't said explicitly but implicitly are what's underlying it. Similarly to this principle of yeast and, and bread, right, that it causes other things to rise. It's what's below the surface. So first I want to read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. It says this, You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. That what false teaching does is it gives rise, in a sense, within you to not the best practices, postures, habits, and things like that. Uh, so in uh, Matthew chapter 16, I want to read, um, which is right before, I want to read from verse 1, which is right before what we just read together. Uh, Jesus has this interaction with the Pharisees and Sadducees. It says, one day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. We're not going to read the rest of uh, that, but they go on asking Jesus to give this miraculous sign, which on first glance, I'm like, well, yeah, like ask Jesus to give a sign, like show who he is. But literally right before this story, Jesus had fed 4,000 men plus women and kids, had healed a bunch of people, had fed 5,000 men plus women and kids, had done all of this really amazing signs to showcase who he was. And it's interesting here, scholars point out that it's weird that the Pharisees and Sadducees 
joined together in their opposition against Jesus. They actually believed a lot of things that were different in opposition to each other. But clearly, they cared enough about it to join together in their mutual opposition of Jesus. And it says that their purpose was to test Jesus. And so I, there's a couple different layers with this, three in particular that I want to point out with this idea of test. Uh, Deuteronomy 13 and 18 reference something along the lines of like testing of prophets to see whether or not they have been truly sent by God. So there's a sense in which this could be good, right? You want to know that you're not following a false prophet. I think the passages in Deuteronomy specifically talk about like, here is the prophet and here's how you can know it's not the prophet. And Jesus has had other encounters with the Pharisees where he tells them, no, I am who I am. Uh, the other layer of testing is that there is a denouncing of Israel or the Old Testament people of God for putting God to the test. We see this in Psalm 95, 8 through 9. And here are the religious leaders now putting God, Jesus, the Son of God, to the test. But the uh, more relevant one for us, I think, comes from a parallel with Matthew chapter 4. So if you'll turn to Matthew 4, it'll be on the screen too. There's this story in the beginning of Jesus' ministry where Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And it goes on to tell us they did that for 40 days and 40 nights. And if you're familiar with the story, the devil quoted a lot of scripture to Jesus uh, and used that as a way to try to manipulate Jesus into doing something that he wasn't supposed to do. Uh, and it's interesting here, this word there uh, used in 4 verse 1, to be tempted, tempted is the same word or comes from the same word as tested. Actually, the last time it was used in the Gospel of Matthew before chapter 16, which we were just reading, was in Matthew chapter 4, in the story about the devil. So in essence, what the Gospel writer is doing is kind of putting a parallel between the devil's work and the work of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're doing similar sort of things, being in opposition to God's kingdom, that they are seeing God do all these amazing things right in front of them, and yet are like blind. They don't even see it. They want something different than that. And, and here's where I want to make a point to say, Jesus didn't disagree with everything the Pharisees and Sadducees taught. Jesus didn't disagree with everything the Pharisees and Sadducees thought, taught. Uh, if that sounds obvious, I'm glad it sounds obvious to you. Uh, sometimes in church circles, we demonize uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees and say, well, just don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Sadducee. But they knew a lot about the Bible. They knew a ton about it. But Jesus didn't disagree with everything with them. He believed Yahweh was the one true God. He believed that. Uh, in the conversations that Jesus and they, them had about like, things like the Sabbath, the conversation wasn't about whether or not the Sabbath was important. Jesus practiced the Sabbath. The conversation was about how to go about doing it. And so they believed similar things, uh, but not everything. And here's why I'm concerned about this. We naturally have a tendency to demonize people we disagree with. Have y'all been on the internet? You know what I'm talking about, right? We demonize everybody that we disagree with. And I don't know about you, but everybody now, it seems like, has an opinion about literally everything. Very strong. Like, in the past couple of years, everything is polarized. Literally everything. And I think about this sometimes. Our opinions on a lot of this stuff matters, and it's important, and it's relevant, and the things that we should stand up for, but sometimes it's like, practically speaking for our relationship, it doesn't actually affect anything <laughs> between us, you know what I mean? We demonize people we disagree with. And the other thing I'm concerned about is that we are prone to rejecting either all or none of teaching. 
So like with the Pharisees and Sadducees, it's easy to be like, well, don't want to be a Pharisee, so I'm not going to be like uh, regularly practicing these things that they did, right? I don't want to be like them. And the natural tendency throughout church history, I can point to multiple movements where we have gone from one end of the spectrum to the other end, when really a healthy place is probably more in the middle. We are prone to rejecting all or none. And in some ways, it's because it's easier, right? Uh, If you grew up thinking one thing about God, about faith, and there was a lot of good, or only a little bit of good, it's hard to discern, to cipher through what was good and what was awful. How do I find out what I need to cling on to and what to get rid of? And we are taught by a lot of people, by a lot of things, and we need discernment to know what to hold on to, what to cling fast to, and what to let go of. I want to read from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses uh, 1 through 4, and then from verses 13 through 15, it says this. It says, I hope you put up with a little more of my foolishness. This is Paul talking. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. So I want to pause right there. What I want to get at is I'm talking about false teaching or like teaching that's not fully right or whatever. My, my point behind doing it is not to be like, oh, just watch out. My point is I want us, I want myself to encounter the real Jesus. And I'm deeply concerned that a lot of us have encountered a Jesus that isn't the actual Jesus of the Bible. And I want us to know the real, true Jesus of the scriptures because he is beautiful, he is compelling, he is good, he is kind, he is convicting. He thinks some things that seem like what I think and then he does some other things and I'm like, man, I don't know what to do with that. But he's good and he is beautiful. So let's keep on reading. Uh, I promise you as pure bride to one husband, Christ, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you receive, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. Uh, One of my favorite things about the church I grew up in was that I would regularly hear the pastor say, check what I say against scripture, and if it doesn't line up, don't believe it. I regularly pray something to the extent of before I preach, and Daniel prayed it for me before today, so I don't have to do it for myself. Just kidding. I still do. That anything that's not of me or that anything that's not of the Lord will fade away. That only what is of the Lord will remain. And I pray that both for the words that come out of my mouth and then also what you hear. Because the truth is I say things that aren't always 100% accurate. Sometimes it's just a slip of words like a couple weeks ago. Um, Y'all probably don't find this funny, but I'm saying it for my own conscience, so bear with me. Uh, There was a book by a guy named Abraham Heschel called Sabbath. He's a Jewish theologian. And somewhere when I, I mean, I've said the name multiple times over multiple weeks, Abraham Heschel, but I kept saying Herschel. I have a backpack by Herschel. I don't know if I got like incepted or what it was. Uh, So sometimes like not saying that's like bad teaching. I don't think most of y'all are even picking up the book to read it or even remember that I said that. But of course I did because I edit the sermons. And I'm like, man, I said that so many times. Truly, I could catch myself once. So sometimes like bad teaching or misguided teaching is just a slip of words, right? You talk enough and you are going to say things that aren't accurate. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident. I've gone back and edited sermons and been like, oops, I just had a slip of words and hopefully people caught that, right? When I see that, that's important. I try to recognize that in front of you. Uh, Sometimes, though, it's uh, something that we believe that's wrong, that we communicate passionately, only to come come to find out, maybe not this side of eternity, but we come to find out eventually that we were wrong. 
Other things, though, are actually intentionally manipulative. Other teachings uh, can be not only intentionally manipulative, but can be uh, even start out for a good reason, right? That this teaching seems more palatable. Like if I just preach this message that sounds like, hey, if you trust Jesus, everything's going to be great all the time. Great. Come on. Like if you trust Jesus enough, you have enough faith, if you pray enough, like you're going to get all this money and wealth and health and like all this stuff's going to be great. But that's not, in, that's not there. Sometimes it's more manipulative. It even started out of good reasons. Like, hey, come, we want you to encounter Jesus. And I, I do, I want you to encounter Jesus. But I want you to encounter the true Jesus because he is good. And we see Paul go on in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 to say that these people, talking about the teachers he was referring to, are false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. And here's one of the things I want to get at. The best bad teaching contains elements of truth. The best bad teaching contains elements of truth, which is why discernment is so important. I had a seminary, or not a seminary, undergrad professor told me he listened this preacher he doesn't like sometimes, uh, who he disagreed with on most things, because he said, God always finds a way of speaking to me through the person I really dislike and disagree with, which I thought was funny. But what he was having there was also discernment to listen to what is good of this and what is, what is not. And the truth is, anybody can pervert scripture. The truth is, to some extent, we all do. The question is, are we working to, to realize it? And, and this is so hard, right? Um, I was talking with someone recently about uh, theological education. In some theological educational circles, sometimes uh, faith becomes more of an academic exercise than one that is really uh, rooted in your faith. And I think I studied in seminary, plan on studying more, like the academic part's important and it's connected. Uh, but when it comes to issues of faith, uh, like yeast is for bread, when you start dealing with some things in your faith and you start to upend them or not, you're not sure what you think, it feels really disorienting. And what's difficult is sometimes our tendency is to go from all to none, right? So like we can find one thing that we disagree with, that we struggle with, that we wrestle with, and it's really easy to throw out everything with that. Reality is it's probably some good, probably some bad, right? It's an imperfect uh, representation. And this is so hard uh, because when you start dealing with things of faith, like it's not just like an intellectual belief, like it's not, or even just like something that you like. Like if I, I had a bad experience at Burger King when I was in college and I don't like going Burger King still because the chicken nuggets were gross and I used to love them, you know, but that's Burger King, right? When you have an experience like that with faith, someone hurts you, someone does something terrible, awful, manipulative, uh, someone teaches something that is as far as you can tell, very not in line with the teachings of Scripture. That's very upending to who you are, your identity. I found my worth in this. This is what I believed about God. So I believed about myself, what I believed about other people. What do I do with this? Um, and last night, as I was running through this message, I got this um, image in my head. So if it, if it rings true with you, uh, bear with me. Um, I checked it with like our elders and staff just to see if it rang true. Uh, but I got this image last night. I was working through the sermon of, of a heart. Um, and this heart had chains all around it. But when I looked at the heart, within it, there was a little kid. And this little kid was like curled up 
in a ball. Uh, room, I think, felt dark. Binky feels scared. She seems to be scared to come out. And as I was, we were praying earlier before the service, I got this image again of that heart and um, the chains around it, and Jesus was holding the heart. And the picture I got was that I imagine there's somebody, maybe it's not even you, maybe somebody you know who feels scared to come out of this place when it comes to a relationship with God. Uh, Because maybe you've been hurt, Maybe someone's done something terrible to you. Maybe you don't know what you think or believe, and so you, you, you've stayed in here for good reasons. And it feels like God's totally abandoned you. So if that's you, I just want to communicate to you that Jesus sees you, and he's been holding the heart the whole time. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, I can't tell with the chain or the lock, like if it's already locked or if it's just like wrapped around and all you've got to do is come out. That Jesus is there. He's not forgotten you. He wants a relationship with you. There's freedom, an abundant freedom that comes, the relationship with Jesus. And, and the reality is like false teaching in some ways, bad teaching, in a sense like shackles us uh, from being truly who God has made us to be. And when I was thinking of examples of like false teaching or say false teaching, that sounds really, really strong the language that they're using here. Uh, I think of things like uh, works-based faith. That if you go to church enough, uh, if you go to Sunday school enough, if you Sabbath every Friday to Saturday or Sunday, whatever your thing is, if you do all the right things, then God's going to be pleased with you and happy, and you can spend forever with God. You get eternal life. Good job. When the message of the Bible is not that, she repeatedly, it's people mess up, fail, don't do it, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's literally nothing you could do to earn it or deserve it, but Jesus offers you a way to have eternal life through him by trusting in him and his righteousness, not your own. And this one, this workspace faith, really gets marked by this sense of self-righteousness or this need to be self-righteous. A lot of us might not even fully believe that up here, but internally speaking, we do. I feel this thing within me that if I'm not a good enough person, God's not happy with me. God doesn't love me enough, but the truth is, God loves you despite what you've done. He knew what you would do when he died on the cross for you. He was very fully aware. He's not surprised by any of it. The flip side of this, uh, another example of false teaching that I think a lot of us have is this works lacking faith, is what I would call it. This is this idea that, uh, which starts from a true place. Jesus accepts you where you are. There's nothing you could do to earn God's favor or kindness or grace. 100% true. Believe that with all of my heart. But if we were dead in our sins and Christ raised us to life, James talks about faith without works is dead. And that the fruit of the Spirit are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? That being with Jesus changes you. You move from death to life. And so obviously that changes you. Works matter. They're not salvific, meaning they don't save you. But if God has saved you, he changes the way that you live both internally, relationally with other people, and with the world, right? Another example of what I would call false teaching is uh, prosperity gospel, which you may have heard that uh, word before. What I, what I mean is some akin to, like, if you trust God enough, you will be happy, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, something along those lines. Uh, here, let me tell you what I like about that. Uh, one, it sounds cool. 
Uh, but the second part that I like is it indicates this holistic picture of flourishing that I believe is something that Jesus longs for. We're told in the book of Revelation, the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more heartache, none of those things. And so I love that it's more holistic. The problem is, is it takes this promise that's for the future and says we can have it now. And if I don't have it now, I don't have enough faith. And sometimes that's not an explicit teaching. Sometimes that's an implicit teaching. One way I've heard or experienced it is through my own experience with mental health, with depression and anxiety. Like if I trust God enough, if I pray hard enough, then I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be able to choose joy and rise above the pain. I mean, maybe sometimes, but man, I trusted God real hard and prayed a lot and I still had panic attacks. And you know what that made me feel like? Like I didn't have enough faith. Then I talked with friends and I was like, I mean, not to compare, but like I'm reading the Bible more than you and pray more than you, you know? Like I have to pray like every, literally every second or I'm going to start crying in front of people and that's not that fun. Sometimes it just happens and you can't control it. Another uh, false teaching would be something like only blank can be Christians. Only conservatives, only progressives, only Republicans, only Democrats, only you fill in the blank. Who are the people that you don't like? They can also be followers of Jesus. My question is, what would Jesus say to us today to be careful of, beware of, the teaching of, the yeast of, Trey and Carly? Just kind of kidding on that one, hopefully. But seriously, pay attention to it. <laughs> so my question for us is, who or what has taught you and is teaching you? Not that it's all bad, but are you even aware where you get the things that you think? Do you know? My parents taught me a lot about God, about faith. I'm incredibly thankful for that. And I can label that, and that's good. Like, I want to teach our son about God, about Jesus. And I hope we can look back in 20 years and be like, yeah, my parents taught me about Jesus. I hope we can. But a lot of us are taught and shaped by things that we are unaware of, what TV shows, what movies, what books, what speakers. And the follow-up question is, do you believe anything that contradicts with the teachings of Jesus in the scriptures? And do you follow anything that contradicts with that? Not just believe it up here, but does your life look like it follows something other than Jesus? Like, I can say I follow after Jesus, but actually my life is governed by wanting to just be happy or wanting to get more money, wanting to have success, whatever the thing is. Do I follow Jesus or do I follow something else? Who do you trust? So here's the application. A couple ways to do this. Number one, pay attention to who or what is teaching you. Be mindful. Recognize this is teaching me something. Not that you have to only listen to things you agree with. I don't think that's true. I try to listen to people I disagree with, right? Um, and I think that's important because the internet just puts things that you like and agree with, right? Which makes it even more likely that you're not going to be challenged. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says it like this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the second application point is to ask God to change the way you think. You might not know what you need him to change the way you think about is maybe it's a particular person. Change the way I see this person. Help me to see them like you see them. Maybe it's about a particular issue that you just need his perspective. Maybe you don't even know what you need his perspective on. Say, God, change the way I think. And then with that, bring lies to the light. 
identify the lies you have believed and bring them to God and others. And then next I would say check teaching with scripture. Check teaching with scripture. Uh, And with that, I think it's important to read scripture with other people because a lot of people, we, we tend to do something called proof texting when we read the Bible, which is I can look in the Bible for justification for whatever I think and I'm probably gonna be able to find it for a lot of things, not everything. Read it with other people. Be challenged. And then lastly, allow God to transform you, to change you from the inside out. And I wanna read from Matthew 13, 33 as we close and as I'm the band to come back up here. This is another verse where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and he uses this as a, he talks about yeast here. Says Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And so my prayer for us is that as we encounter the real Jesus and we are taught about him, as we learn about him, as we grow to know more about him, that that yeast, that teaching infects every aspect of us, internally and externally, to grow us, to shape us, to mold us, to form us, to look more and more and more like Jesus and less like what everybody else does that people can look and say, there's something different about these people. And that's what's amazing about the kingdom of God. He can use people, I mean, I was talking with uh, Carly in Israel this week, like, my parents would tell you, I was incredibly, like a shy little kid. I still like struggle with social anxiety, believe it or not, I'm starting to get it. Uh, (laughs) I'm standing here preaching, right? Uh, But I like couldn't, didn't, couldn't. I would not go into like a convenience store to get like milk, because I was afraid of being around other people. I never thought I would be speaking in front of other people and telling people about Jesus. The Lord can take a little and grow it and use it, and the same with you. And so maybe you're even thinking, well, how could God use me? Read this, and I'll tell you, there's a ton of examples throughout this. God can use you and wants to use you. The question is, are you willing Singing that, I got that picture of that little kid who I think might be a little boy. Uh, in that room inside the heart with the chains around it. And I picture Jesus and I picture almost this like cry out. I don't know if this was me crying out or whoever, but where are you, God? Where were you when this happened to me? And uh, particularly with like religious figures. Where were you? And I, I like. I almost like feel it in my back. I got this picture of Jesus being pierced with spears like he was up on the cross. He's holding you. Crying out, where where were you? We cried that out that he, he was there. That he received those wounds from religious figures Jesus offers. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit and may the gifts of the Holy Spirit 
come out of you. May the fruits of the Holy Spirit be rampant in your lives and the life of our church. May you know you're loved by God and by your church family. May you operate out of that love to help more people know Jesus and make him known. It's the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that I pray. Thanks for tuning in to New City Church's podcast. We hope today's message blessed you. For more information on who we are, what we do, how you can get involved, and some resources for your faith, check out newcitynash.com. But until then, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.